Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio I know we had some words last time But that was so long ago I got your message It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow Welcome to Starship Sofa Part of the District of Wonders Network Featuring tales to terrify And far-fetched fables Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 601. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Yes, hello everyone. Six hundred and one today, yes, and it's the end of the month, so we have our very own Mr. JJ Campanella. So I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. First off is the main fiction, and it is Song of Passing Grief by James Bayman. Then, like I say, it is our very own JJ Campanella with his science news. So jumping straight in to 601, James Bayman. James served in the Air Force, U.S. Air Force, was deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan and has over 20 years worth of hilarious marriage stories, but assumed no one would know unless you could get his bio into print. So he worked with cheetah speed and weasel scruples to get stories published in such places as fantasy and science fiction, light speed and Apex magazine. So audience could finally find, find his bio. Determined that even more people should find in his bio, he wrote a debut novel called Pendulum Heroes and included an About the Author section. And he's keep going to writing, mostly because bios don't come like buttons and view counts and he can't determine how many people have actually seen it. He encourages you to check out, and there's a couple of links there and on Twitter as well, to James's site. This story is just fantastic. It is narrated by Eliza Chan. Eliza Chan is a Scottish Chinese writer published in Fantasy Magazine, Fox Sprints, Asian Monsters. And she writes about Asian mythology, British folklore and mad women in the attic, preferably all at once. So, 
The Starship Sofa is very proud to present Song of Passing Grief by James Beamon. When I gave the conductor the ticket, it did nothing to gain me passage. He kept his hand on his silver pocket watch, looking at the ticket as if it would evaporate into the night air. His expression was unreadable behind his bushy grey eyebrows and moustache. This is not the train for you, daughter, he said in Bulgarian made heavy with his Moldavian accent. Take the next one. Laughter erupted from the train. Boisterous voices of Russian men told me this train was for soldiers on their way to the front. Behind the windows, silhouettes from the gaslights told me the cars were crowded. I was unmistakable in my flowing skirts the delicate yellow scarf tied around my neck and the fact that I had no bags, at least none that he could see. Did the conductor see a young woman who needed protection from ruffians? Or did he see me only as Romany, a gypsy opportunist who saw his train full of foreign men as an opportunity to earn in ways Romany women are said to be well-versed? I will not take the next one. I told him, thrusting the ticket towards him. This is my train. He tried to protest, but I was already storming past him and into the car. He grabbed my wrist. I pulled against him. Wait, he said, his voice a harsh whisper. Strasvoy, what's this? asked a soldier. The car had fallen silent as all the men looked at me, pulling my wrist from the conductor's grasp. The same soldier spoke, his black uniform displaying the authority of an officer. Conductor, do you not take tickets in exchange for passage? She has her ticket. He moved his rifle and jacket, displaying an empty seat. And there is room. Let her on. The conductor resigned himself with a nod, and I found myself seated next to the officer. His goatee exaggerated his smile. My thank you tasted like bile as I spoke it. I did not have it in me to smile back. I am Igori. Mirella. Why do you travel so, Mirella, at night and without bags? he asked. I didn't answer. My purpose wasn't for the Russian to scrutinise. Besides... Asking Romany why they travel is like asking the sun why it doesn't stay in one place. Instead, I nodded towards the soldiers behind him. Where do you and your men go? Silistria. Omar Pasha has deluded himself into thinking he can haul himself away in there forever. As he talked of skirmishes with the British and Turks, my eyes wandered through the cabin. I saw the powered armour in the corner and my breath caught in my throat. Kolotar, Igori said, following my eyes. The steam knights. Rifles are useless against the armour, and the men inside driving are fearless. They are magnificent engines, yes? I did not need him to tell me of their power. The night they came would always be vivid. Niku had wanted stew, Spice just so, he said. So I left Kizi, asleep now that she had suckled with him. I went to gather herbs. 
I didn't make it far down the Danube before explosions broke the tranquil air and fire stained the night sky behind me. I ran along the river bank back to my village. Everything was in flames. Silver metal men were in the heart of it, crashing through homes, shooting down my people as they fled the carnage. The metal marauders ran through the village, laughs emanating from masks that resembled grinning skulls. Niku. Kizi. Our home was burning. I ran toward it, caring nothing of danger or death. One of the armoured men pulled out a metal sphere and lobbed it at my house. When it landed, it opened to reveal green gas that slowly seeped out of the core. Then I heard it clicking, clicking, trying to make a spark. Mirella, I see you are speechless, Igori said, bringing me back from the nightmare of my past. If you could only see the Kolotar in battle, that is a sight. Two steam knights stood in the corner of the cabin, looking less towering now that they were immobile. They were only slightly bigger and broader than an average man. One of the men inside the suit held his helmet and looked at me with a cold, uncaring stare. The other wore his helmet. The unmoving metal eyes and death grin of the face was nearly the same stare as his compatriot. How far is it to the Selina Suspension Bridge? I asked, eager to think about anything else. Not far now. Less than an hour. Although, I don't think you'll see that far below us on a dark night like this. How is it you know Bulgarian? I am an immigrant. My father was a merchant who had a lot of business connections in Bulgaria. He brought us down to Varna because of the opportunities. Then the war started. The first thing Omar Pasha did was to make an example of the Russian citizens there. The only thing that saved me was father's charm and money. Adnan saved me. I don't know if it was him that pulled me from the river. All I know is that when I woke, he was there. The first thing I did was fight with him to get free. I thought he was one of those armoured killers. He had metal tubes and bolts instead of a left arm. Teskinet, he said in his native Turkish, before switching to Bulgarian. Be calm. I am a friend. I wanted to scream, to tell him he was a monster, he and all of his metallic kind. Only a squelched warble came. I had no voice. Adnan shook his head. The Russia armoured men, they did this. He moved his hand gingerly to my throat, and pain blossomed at his touch. Methane grenade shrapnel. It took your voice. Not a small miracle you live at all. I didn't want this miracle. They had taken my family, my village, even the means to scream my anguish. I touched my throat and felt jagged metal. Smothering pain stabbed out from the wound. My cry was a squelch like a broken violin. Sus, broken kipti, he hushed me, raising the metal rod of his finger over his lips. I know what it means to lose a piece of yourself. Adnan was a galvanizer. A man learned in the science of making metal move like muscle and bristle with energy. 
the Ottoman Empire sent him to Silistria to create war dynamos from the running waters of the Danube. Fate sent me to him. First you heal, Adnan said. Just enough. Then I fix. For that month I ate nothing but cold porridge and pulped pears. Adnan cleaned the wound daily and talked to me about the things that crossed his mind, whether it was problems he faced channeling pressurised steam or fables of old Constantinople. When the shards protruding from my throat hurt only slightly, he came to me with gears and small brass fittings and a scalpel. He worked for hours over me, swapping out one strange tool for another and back again as he tinkered. When he was satisfied, he stood back and looked at me. Well, what will be your first words with your new voice? Thank you, I said. My voice sounded like rocks scraping. No, no, he said, shaking his head. This will never do. Such a pretty thing, with a voice that frightens children. We try again, yes, when better parts come. We were silent for a time. There was nothing for me to do but wait. Russian soldiers stood huddled together or sat in the rich burgundy seats of the train, all sharing vodka and cigarettes and hearty laughs. The car had grown denser as soldiers came to investigate rumours of my presence. More often than I cared for, a soldier would look at me and start talking. Laughter would erupt among the group and they would all stare. I did not need to know their language to know what they talked about. The hungry smirks on their faces said it all. Igory spoke, his tone loud and abrasive, to the men in the car and they averted their gaze. When he faced me again, his smile made his eyes crease at the corners. He reached for the end of my yellow scarf. This is exquisite, he said, playing with the fabric between his fingers. Where did you get it? It was a gift. I was looking out of the window when Adnan came in. Children were playing in the courtyard below. The infrequent airship raids were ineffective and had served only to give them more places to play. The rubble was likely ancient castles to them, and the little girls that laughed among them were all princesses. I looked at them and thought of Kizi. Are you ready? he asked. I am so excited. My parts are the best the world offers. Gears from Gigier Le Coultre, fittings from Gustave Becker. You will sound like a tarlacouche, a lark, yes? This was the fourth try in twice as many months. Why do you do it, Adnan? I asked. My voice this time sounded feminine, yet wet, like I was talking through a bucket of water. Not enough lubrication control for the feedback valves, Adnan explained. Do what? Go on galvanising. His stories weren't always about work or his homeland. An airship he designed had crashed, taking his wife and arm from him. Instead of abandoning his work, he had immersed himself in it. Oh, 
I wanted to quit at first, he said, his eyes joining mine to gaze out the window as he spoke. I had all this rage in me, you see. But I have always loved invention. And Emine, she knew this. You should have seen her whenever I showed her my latest gadget. I think her smile was bigger than mine. I made her so proud. Her smile is still there, waiting for me at the end of every new invention. So vivid, I feel her proudly beside me, if only for a few moments. He turned his attention to me. Besides, my inventions can help people, like you, my little songbird. Are you ready? A gift, ah, Igori said, looking me up and down with mischief in his eyes. And what did you do to earn such an extravagant gift, little Tagan? I sang. I don't know if I can reward so grandly, but I would be honoured if you would sing for me as well. I looked out of the window. The darkness outside and below was pervasive as we crossed the Selina suspension bridge. I turned my attention to Igori, nodded, and rose to sing. Sing to me, Adnan said. One more song before I leave for Constantinople. Remember, just loud enough, barely more than a whisper. I had to take his reminder to heart. The last time, when I sang a gay and lively song about the Princess of Sophia, everyone within earshot came to hear. A hundred people below my window. Dozens more lining the halls outside the door. And when I finished, boisterous cheering erupted and the whole crowd celebrated an impromptu holiday. All talk of war and work was forgotten in the midst of feasting and merrymaking. Adnan said it was the power of my voice that caused all that, as he laughed and danced with me that night. I didn't know if that was just as pride as an inventor talking, but I would not tempt it. I sang a Bulgarian folk song, as quietly as I could. The song of Yurev, the brave youth who goes off to war and leaves his wife to await his return. Every morning she looks to the east, hoping he will arrive with the rising of the sun. He never returns. She never stops looking to the east every morning. When I finished, Adnan's look was distant his eyes wet with tears. Was she beautiful? I asked him. Ala beresmini yabmasina bakmakgivi Like watching God paint a picture. I kissed him, brought him into me. We made love as only two broken hearts could. We clung tight to each other like the other body was the only life raft left to hold on to in a sea of flotsam surrounding us. Right before his airship left, he came to me with the scarf. He held it out with deference. I can't accept this, I told him. I had no doubt who it belonged to. You must. What I have done for you is my greatest invention yet. I don't think I will ever best it. 
You have brought inspiration to me and joy. It is yours now. He placed the scarf into my hand and closed my fingers around it. Will I see you again? He smiled, his eyes sad. I hope so, little songbird. When this war in the Crimean can take nothing else from us. A day when we are both a bit more fixed, yes? Igori leaned closer as I stood. The whole car was quiet, full of the anticipating stares of the Russian soldiers. My words weren't Bulgarian, but the old tongue of my people. I sang of a happy young girl who danced the Sigani tank with a free heart, twirling her skirts with abandon. More than a twirl of her body, the gleam in her eye caught her husband. At least this is what he tells her. She bore him a daughter. He would hear no talk of consolation, celebrating as if she was the son to carry his name. He said, she will have the gleam in her eye like her mother, and I will never tire of fetching them flowers. By this time, the doors to the cars in front of and behind me were held open, and down the line I could see the soldiers staring, rapt. I sang louder still, louder than humanly possible, the old words holding little meaning to anyone other than me. Her life ended in fire. These weren't even real men who burned through her hopes and dreams like so much kindling. These were cowards, hiding behind metal masks, pumping cold methane through their iron-plated hearts. They wanted to test their skills in ploughed fields rather than battlefields. Their enemy was villagers. This village was Romany. Those children of Mother Earth who forever roam, whose only permanent rest lies in their mother's womb. But there could be no such rest for her family. Those left as so much ash to forever wander across harsh winds. Their spirits would return angry, vengeful that they were denied the right of burial. And when she tried to wail her anguish, to let those spirits know how great her pain, they took her voice. I took my scarf off as I sang of Adnan Dermitash, son of Levent. A man like her, broken in ways large and subtle and intricate. A man who could only grieve in the brief space between making gadgets or when a wounded songbird trills his defences away. But a wounded songbird can't heal this much grief any more than Adnan can craft a cure with brass and cogs. And that is why I am here. So the touch of another man won't bring me guilt. So I won't see the face of my daughter in little girls playing in palaces of war-strewn rubble. I'm here to bury this grief. While my song rose in pitch and ferocity, the Kulatar steam knights had been rising up in their armour, one here, another there, along all the open cars as I sang. They carried their heaving metal bodies to the open doors and whenever one had more than he could stand he threw himself off the train into the chasm below the suspension bridge. 
Now, near the end of my song, more than half had fled the burden of my voice, and the dozen left stood teetering at the edge. I have come to give back the grief you gave me, I sang, my voice at its crescendo. May you live with it until your hair greys and your teeth rot. The rest of the collator fell into the chasm. The rush of wind filled the void made by my voice gone silent. The engine's efforts, chug, 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 kept metered time like a heartbeat in the absence. Wait, a voice called to me as I turned to go. It was Igori, aiming his rifle at me with shaking hands. I had no fear. My family waits for me. Igori's hands shook violently until he dropped the rifle and covered his face with his hand, openly weeping. I got off when the train stopped, leaving the ones alive to shoulder the burden of the baggage I had brought on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There you go, don't forget, copyright is James. James, thank you so much indeed. Whoa, thank you, and Eliza. Oh, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much. So next is, you know what it is. Yes, it is the end of the month. It is Mr. JJ Campanella with his science news. Jim, sir. Greetings and stagmontic retribulations, my myofragmeric listeners. And welcome to this August 2019 Science News Update. I'm your host for this pathetically puerile podcast segment, Jim Campanella. So if everything works out right, this will be the second science update that you're going to hear in August. Yahoo! Okay, so still no idiot scientist of the month for August. I guess that's a good thing, right? However, this evening I'll start out talking about a couple of bits of science news that I came across while in San Jose, California at the beginning of this month for the 2019 Conference of the American Society for Plant Biologists. 
There were a few good talks, but I will honestly say I had trouble keeping awake through many of the scientific symposia that were presented, in part because some of the material was just so bloody, insidiously boring that you could use those segments to put chronic insomniacs unconscious. But the other reason I had such difficulty with many talks is a malady that I have suffered since I was a college student. And that malady is that I have a great deal of difficulty understanding heavy accents, especially Asian accents. I don't know whether this is because of a brain misalignment or a neural shortcoming or what, but my brain translates much of those heavy accents as pure gibberish. I mean, the issue played havoc with some of my classes taught by those whose first language was not English. It is still a bane. I mean, I have students with heavy accents, and I have difficulty understanding them sometimes. I have them repeat a question two or three times, and I feel very embarrassed about that. Anyway, my brain just drifted through many talks by researchers from China. However, there were several topics that did keep my attention. And the first was presented by Dr. Rishi Masalia. He was the chair of the symposia, which he entitled, Plants You Can Drink, Eat, or Smoke. Now, Rishi was a hoot, to say the least. He was the most laid-back speaker I have ever seen at one of these meetings. He's a large, dark Indian fellow in his early 30s with long, curly black hair. And he sounds like he's channeling director, actor, podcaster Kevin Smith most of the time. To put it very simply, Dr. Rishi was very mellow. Dr. Rishi works for a company called LeafWorks. More on them in a second. He's the company's director of bioinformatics, which is actually quite key to what the company does. Now, Rishi's talk was much more laid back than his conference abstract would lead you to believe. It went like this, quote, With public opinion quickly changing, more states are legalizing cannabis, enabling the scientific community to investigate this plant, allowing us to pose basic biological questions about genetic diversity and ancestry. To explore the current breadth of genetic diversity in cannabis and how that relates to naming conventions, we present analyses of genome-wide SNP data from a large collection of cannabis accessions. Our results indicate discrepancies in cannabis labeling and genetic clustering based on classic cannabis idiotypes, that is, indica and sativa, unquote. Basically, what Rishi's company LeafWorks does out in the great west of California, Oregon and Washington, where cannabis is legalized, is to do genetic testing in marijuana pharmacies, growers, and manufacturers to ensure that the particular brand of marijuana that you get is what you are buying and or have been prescribed for. And apparently this is a serious issue because, especially at uh, pharmacies, dispensaries, whatever they call them, you have a 60% chance of not getting the particular cultivar or strain that you requested. And that value is based on a study done by Rishi and LeafWorks. Rishi says that, especially at pharmacies, that if a popular cultivar gets sold out, the clerk there will simply refill the empty jar with something else to continue to sell it. 
I didn't realize that all the cultivars have different amounts of THC and apparently very different profiles that have very different effects. They can act as stimulants or depressives or cause varying levels of hallucinogenic highs or even have pain-killing abilities. This may not be quite so important for your casual user, but if you get a prescription from a doctor specifically with some strain that has a particular palliative effect, and it does not have any therapeutic effects at all, it may be because your sour diesel was replaced by purple kush man, as Rishi so elegantly put it. The company is putting together a standard of strains to do genetic testing against so that the growers, the pharmacies, and the buyers will all know what they are getting and be confident of the particular kind of high they will experience. LeafWorks apparently does do genetic testing on other expensive herbal cash crops as well, but their big money crop seems to be cannabis. Another interesting talk was given by Dr. Celeste Holz-Steitiger, Director of Research at Impossible Foods. For those of you not familiar with Impossible Foods, they are a company which in the last two years have made incredible progress in making vegetable-based protein that tastes like meat. Their main product is the Impossible Burger. I've tasted this, and let me tell you that it's pretty much amazing. I mean, the taste is beefy, and the texture is absolutely perfect. You can still tell that it's not quite beef, but it is the closest thing to real meat made now, with no animal proteins at all that I have ever eaten. Obviously, Impossible Foods wants to make money as a company. That's the goal of every company. But beyond that, they're trying to help this world as it slips deeper and deeper into decline. Humans have the desire to eat meat, and the demand is only rising. And doing things like destroying the Amazon rainforests is not helping anything. Unfortunately, due to dramatically high greenhouse gas emissions, water consumptions, and land utilizations, Animal agriculture is now one of the most environmentally destructive industries on the planet. Impossible Foods thinks that they have the solution to motivate consumers to reduce their consumption of animal-based products. They have created the sensory experience that meat eaters demand, and they have studied meat at the molecular level to identify the biochemical principles underlying the unique flavor and textural attributes of meat, they searched the plant kingdom for materials to recreate those specific properties. One of their discoveries was that heme, the iron-containing cofactor in hemoglobin and myoglobin, is chiefly responsible for the flavor of meat, of beef more specifically. The bloody metallic flavor of beef in its raw state is from heme. Also, when cooked, Heen generates beefy flavors and aromas that are critical to the sensory experience of beef. Heme is ubiquitous in nature in most organisms, and Impossible Foods found heme proteins in plants that are capable of the same flavor characteristics. One example of this is leg hemoglobin, found in the root nodules of soybeans. They combine this soybean heme protein with simple nutrients, plant proteins, and fats to assemble a plant-based burger that has all the sensory and cooking experiences of beef. 
Their newly identified plant-based flavor system enables the creation of meat products that carnivores crave with a fraction of the environmental impact. They have a noble goal to feed our growing human population while expanding forested lands, increasing fresh water, and decreasing greenhouse gases. They announced at the conference that as of August 16, 2019, Burger King in the U.S. would start serving impossible Whoppers. So at least here in the States, many of you will finally be able to taste this amazing stuff. Additionally, Dr. Celeste told us that by the end of 2019, packages of Impossible Burger meat would start being sold at regular grocery stores. I suspect more healthy places like Whole Foods will likely carry it than your local Piggly Wiggly down the street, though. Okay, how about a couple of regular stories here? So for years, whenever I have talked about human genetic treatment for diseases, I have told my classes that it's a very long way off. We can treat some genetic diseases of the blood, for example, but any disease that needs a new gene to be expressed deep in the tissues, or a gene turned off for that matter, uh, like the brain, uh, have been absolutely impossible. The problem has been a delivery system. Yes, we can make lovely new functioning genes to replace the non-functioning ones, but how do you get the genes into tissues with billions and billions of cells and get them all to express this new improved gene? For a long time, it was thought that putting genes into retroviruses might be the key to transport. Retroviruses have the ability to take DNA and transfer it from cell to cell and uh, put it into the nucleus but that was a bust. In short, to date, technology has not been able to provide a safe, efficacious way to replace, inactivate, or introduce new genes for clinical applications. Well, it looks like that problem may have been finally solved. Recently, a collaboration between the Chinese Academy of Sciences and Tufts University has provided novel insights into the next generation of gene therapy technology. The main author of the study was Dr. Xiaoping Zhu of Tufts, and the work was published in the journal Advanced Materials in last month's issue. Zhu says, quote, There are many diseases that have been long intractable for which CRISPR therapies could offer new hope. For example, sickle cell anemia, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, Huntington's disease, and even many cancers, unquote. We've talked in the past about what the CRISPR-Cas9 system is. Remember, it's a powerful gene editing system that has been available for the last few years and has grown massively in use and popularity. Unfortunately, due to the large size and low permeability of the molecules involved, Targeted entry into a cell and nucleus has been challenging. To overcome this, Sue's research team identified a synthetic biodegradable lipid, a fat, that's reported to safely encapsulate the Cas9 messenger RNA and a guide RNA. This lipid acts as a nanocarrier to deliver the contents directly into target cells and then it contains disulfide bonds that break upon cell entry, allowing simultaneous release of the contents into the cell where the Cas9 protein is translated from the mRNA. 
the protein can then anneal up, it can, it can attach to the guide RNA for efficient trafficking into the nucleus. Zoo states, quote, the lipid nanoparticles are one of the most efficient CRISPR-Cas9 carriers that we have ever seen, unquote. To determine whether this novel lipid could work in clinical medicine, the researchers aimed to diminish the function of the PCSK9 gene in mice. This gene, when inhibited, has been shown to reduce low-density lipoprotein, LDL, resulting in a decreased risk of cardiovascular disease. They were able to knock down PCSK9 expression in mice to 80% of their usual expression in the liver, suggesting a real promise for therapeutic applications. Moreover, they reported an in vitro study that they did with a 70% reduction in HeLa cell line viability, remember HeLa cells are cancer cells, where they targeted an oncogene called HPV18 to be knocked down. Zhu concluded, quote, We are just starting to see human clinical trials for CRISPR therapies. Our hope is that this advance will take us another step toward making CRISPR an effective and practical approach to medical treatment, unquote. Next story, scientific sign language. According to this story from Genetic Engineering News, the scientific world will be made a bit easier for the hearing impaired now. Why? Imagine that you're deaf and you have to spell out complicated words like deoxyribonucleotide in sign language to communicate with other scientists. It would be a seriously annoying issue. That's why a determined young university student should be praised for inventing brand new ways for deaf scientists to communicate. Liam McMulkin, who was born deaf, was the first person in his family to pursue a higher education after he enrolled at the University of Dundee to study life sciences in 2015. Like most first-year students, McMulkin had already been anxious about being able to keep up a college workload. Since he was also the only deaf student at the university, he also feared he would have trouble keeping up with the course lectures. Though there are some British Sign Language translations for scientific vocabulary words, the lexicon becomes fairly limited for college-level communication. As McMulkin continued studying in university, he became more and more frustrated by how his translator would be forced to spell out long, complex words. McMulkin told the BBC, quote, Watching the interpreters for a one-hour lecture was very tiring. There were lots of new words and scientific words that were often very long, like deoxyribonucleotide and deoxyribonucleoside. Sometimes the interpreter would be fingerspelling for ages, and I was having to watch that. We would make up new signs, which meant it was easier next time, but it also meant I had to continually learn new signs, which was very tiring. Unquote. McMulkin finally resolved to develop a whole new set of BSL vocabulary words for himself and future life science students. To date, he has created over a hundred new signs for scientific words that have been officially recognized in the formal BSL, which is used by approximately 87,000 people across the UK. Now, I have enough trouble understanding accents. I can't even imagine having to fingerspell highly technical terms while sitting in a lecture 
or having a quick conversation with a colleague, that would be pretty taxing and pretty difficult. I guess Liam is starting to study for his master's degree this September, and that he wants to eventually become a researcher. I'm sure he will be excited to see his new words ease the struggles of other deaf scientists who are following in his footsteps. Next story. Astronomers have spotted a new kind of planet, a Neptune-sized world sitting scorchingly close to its star. It could be in the midst of transforming from a hot, puffy gas giant to a naked, rocky core. Astronomer Dr. James Jenkins of the University of Santiago reported on this new phenomenon July 29th at the TESS Science Conference at MIT. The planet, called LTT 9779b, orbits a sun-like star about 260 light-years away from Earth here. It was discovered by NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, TESS, which launched in April 2018. Data collected by TESS shows that the planet swings around its star once every 19 hours, putting it in a rare class of planets that orbit incredibly close to their stars. Jenkins says, quote, Most of the planets with such close orbits are either Earth-sized or Jupiter-sized and larger, but LTT 9779b is 4.6 times Earth's size and 29 times Earth's mass, placing it right in the middle of those extremes. Its proximity to its star should heat up to about 2,000 Kelvin, which is about 1,725 degrees Celsius, making it the first known ultra-hot Neptune, unquote. One explanation that's suggested for how close-in planets get cozy with their stars is that the worlds form farther away and then migrate closer over time. A planet that had a thick gaseous atmosphere might lose more and more of that gas the closer it comes to its star, as the heat evaporates the atmosphere or the star's gravity steals the gas away. At about 2.5 million kilometers from its star, LTT 9779b may be about the closest a planet can physically get before the star gobbles up all of its atmosphere. If so, it could be a bridge between exoplanets that astronomers have been calling hot Jupiters, which are gas giants, like Jupiter, but have a much closer orbit, and smaller, scorched, rocky worlds. Jenkins continued with, quote, The new planet is much smaller than a hot Jupiter, but it still has a thick atmosphere that makes up about 9% of its mass, unquote. The next step is to measure how quickly LTT 9779b is losing mass, if it's rapid, that could explain why no other ultra-hot Neptunes have been discovered yet. They shift from gas giant to rocky core too quickly. Jenkins says that finding one in mid-transition may have been a stroke of luck. All right, for the last story of the evening, let's stick to astronomy. So astronomers may have finally laid eyes on a population of enormous but elusive galaxies from the early universe. These hefty star-forming galaxies are shrouded in dust, which hid them from previous searches that used starlight. Now observations of the radiation emitted by that interstellar dust has revealed dozens of massive active galaxies 
from when the universe was younger than 2 billion years old. This was reported by researchers online August 7th in the journal Nature. The main author on the paper was Dr. Dao Wang, an astronomer at the University of Tokyo. These galaxies may be the long-sought precursors to heavyweight galaxies seen later in the universe's history, as well as the most massive galaxies around today. The paper says that big, inactive galaxies have been found dating back to a couple billion years after the Big Bang. But the formation of those gentle giants has remained mysterious. That's because astronomers expect such massive, inactive galaxies to originate from big star-forming powerhouses, and surveys of the earliest cosmos hadn't uncovered a population of such star-forming progenitor galaxies previously. Using the Atacama Large Millimeter-slash-Submillimeter Array, ALMA, in Chile, to examine distant galactic dust emissions, Wang's group identified 39 star-forming galaxies from when the universe was about 1 billion to 2 billion years old. These galaxies, which boast an average mass of about 40 billion suns and form about 200 new suns per year, are about as common as the large inactive galaxies seen later in cosmic history. The newly identified galaxies are also embedded in that early era's most massive dark matter halos blobs of invisible, unidentified particles that surround galaxies. The findings suggest that those ancient galaxies are the ancestors of today's biggest galaxies, which now sit in the most massive dark matter halos. These modern descendants may include behemoths like M87, home to the first black hole ever imaged. Wang says, quote, the discovery of such big star-forming galaxies when the universe was less than 2 billion years old fits well with past observations of big quiescent galaxies later in cosmic history. But these observations don't jibe with current theories of galaxy formation. In computer simulations, the universe at 2 billion years old contains too few massive galaxies to explain our observations. This seems to be a surprise that the universe held for us. Unquote. Wang and colleagues now plan to take a larger census of ancient massive galaxies using the ALMA system. That work could give theorists more information about how to tweak cosmological simulations to match early universe observations. Well, that's all for me for now. Try an impossible burger. Be careful and make sure that you're not getting purple Urkel when you think you're buying Pineapple Express, keep watching the skies, and I hope I've inspired some of you. Until next time, this is Jim Campanella. Jim, 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 always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you indeed. So that is today's show, 601. Oh, come on. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you can think about supporting it as well. That would be fantastic. Over on Patreon or just at PayPal would be immense. Trust us, immense. Thank you so much. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 